Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, on the other side of the screen, down the wire, Jay Gilbert. <laughs> How you doing, Jay? Great, Michael. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Um, you know, is there anything happening in, in the music world right now that we need to make a quick mention of? Spotify just continues to kill it in this the podcast arena. They just yeah. bought a couple more companies. Yeah, they sure did. Um, I'll be re- reporting on that this week in, in your morning coffee. It's We always talk about Spotify. They they went after podcasts in in a world where i didn't think anybody could catch apple apple was the king when it came to podcasts because they were so early in the space and now more people are listening to podcasts on spotify and they continue to buy up more quote-unquote content and uh it's pretty exciting to watch i just i haven't read the article but i just saw an article today where somebody was um talking about what could spotify purchase in the next year and they mentioned wouldn't it be interesting if spotify purchased tune in mm-hmm. now for those who don't know tune in is a radio aggregating website and app where it's basically you just go yeah. to this tunein.com and you can listen to commercial radio stations from around the world or like an oh, iHeart, right? Yeah, Same I mean, wouldn't that like- all of a sudden be interesting if Spotify became a destination to listen to radio? Mm-hmm. And and what makes this all sort of interesting in one way to me is these are all revenue streams that are not related to licensing music. Right, they're the which, right holder. Which instead of licensing, if, yeah. If you understand. Licensing music is basically a failure. You're not going to make money licensing music. Yeah, there's not a lot of... There, there's just, you know, the labels make the money. People who try and start businesses licensing that music and providing it to others, it's tough. Yeah. It is very tough. I mean, I remember years ago, we had a, a Music Biz Weekly guest, and I can't remember what the radio app, the music app he was 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 making but basically he said after three years he goes if i knew after three years it was going to be so tough to license music and work with record labels i would have never gotten into this business never hear that a lot never so you know spotify going into podcasts is has nothing to do with record labels nothing to do with labels nothing to do with artists you don't have to license it they're buying they're acquiring these companies and the content and now they are a rights holder and they can draw revenue from that i was always wondering could or would spotify buy audible.com well Um, amazon owns audible right but there's so many other platforms you know like that similar that yes yeah so could it be like you you're saying an aggregator for radio an aggregator for audiobooks you know any kind of entertainment that you can listen to you know maybe old radio programs whatever it is you know um there's so many of those great live recordings out there that they can't figure out what to do with like king biscuit flower hour and westwood one and jim ladd's interview they're all there's all of this content and i remember being at the table having these meetings the People that have those masters don't own those masters. They license them for a term for a use. 
Well, the record label, it's kind of gray area there too. They don't really, they've licensed this. And so there's all of this great quote unquote content that's just sitting in vaults. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much of this stuff as we move forward that you're going to see places like Spotify, DSPs acquiring these things. Well, you know, and that that's what inter- that's what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people scratch their head going, what the hell? Why does Spotify care about podcasts? Why are they doing this? Why? Because it's 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 giving them a whole new business model to build around that that's not a a money sink li- licensing music is what are the other dsps doing i mean we know amazon listen amazon music is just a lost leader to go to amazon and buy your toilet paper and your paper towels but what is deezer doing what's title doing what even what is apple doing i mean you know deezer and title it's music Music, music, music. Title tries to differentiate themselves by better quality. But again, at the end of the day, it's not a big, en- in my opinion, that's not a big enough differentiator to jump from one to another. For most people, it's not. It's not. And, you know, Apple, listen, they sat back on their laurels and thought podcasts they were the king of. And Spotify has come out of nowhere and has surpassed Apple now as the number one podcast destination. What other things are is Apple bringing in to the 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 Apple Music mix to make it different? And I, you know, we never know. Apple out of the blue announces things, but it feels like they've just kind of been sitting back, doesn't it? Well, no one's really innovating in the way that Spotify is. Now, almost every week you and I are talking about, oh my gosh, they're doing this. They've acquired this company. They've got wrapped. They've got all these different you know, ways to advertise, to reach uh, their listeners. They're, they're constantly in the news with innovations. And you're really not seeing that with the other DSPs so much. I am watching um, Amazon's doing some really incredible things. And they're, they're that quiet beast in the back that because of smart speakers and all sorts of other things, they're, they're doing some innovative things. Pandora is doing some innovative things. Yeah. But you know, the, 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 the issue with Pandora is just, it's not worldwide. Yeah. Right. I mean that, that, you know, they don't have a worldwide market for people to listen to Pandora. I mean, I love Pandora, but I get plenty of artists who are like, well, great. I'm in the UK and I'm on Pandora, but I can't listen to it. I don't know what it sounds like. My fans can't listen to it. Yeah, But they're a beast. Like there's this one jazz, I was working with some jazz artists and they had this jazz playlist that, uh, or station that had like 12 million people listening to. And on the jazz side, that is massive. And then you go over to SoundCloud and people dismiss SoundCloud but you know there's nearly 75 million tracks on most dsps they've got 240 million and yes it's the long tail and you know we we joke around about that website forgotify which you know will play songs that have never been played once on spotify but there are all these other ecosystems that have rabid fan bases and i think you have to look holistically at all of these but bottom line is i see even though YouTube is the number one place where people listen to music, not 
not view, but listen to music, not Spotify. I do believe that Spotify is simply out innovating everybody else. Yep. And the fact that they're going after content that is non-music content that they can now be the rights holder of, um, that's where they're going to make some money. It's not going to be, as you said, from just licensing music from other sources. Yeah, I, you, a, a business will not sustain itself simply on being a streaming service of music, yeah. considering the fees they have to pay to access yeah. that music. Yeah. The bandwidth fees that they have to absorb, all of that. So, yeah, I mean, listen, we, Music Biz Weekly Podcast, are on Spotify. We've granted them the rights. Mm-hmm. They're not paying us. That's a that's a win for Spotify. Now every podcast platform is the same way, so don't get mad that Spotify is not paying us. That's just right. the way the podcast world is. Yeah, it's get your record your product and get it out there. That's the kind of and and as we know, Spotify will wrap their own ads around your podcast and make money off of it. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. We're not right. making money off it. Would I love to? Sure, but it's peanuts. You know, the, the only platform that any sort of money comes in for any of the podcasts that I do is YouTube because of YouTube advertising. Mm -hmm. But listen, it's not money that is going to retire. It's not going to, yeah. You know, I might get 250 bucks a quarter, you know, a quarter. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to throw it away, but it amounts to basically nothing. Yeah. Podcasters understand that. And that's a good business for people like Spotify and YouTube to be in because they can monetize and make money off yeah. of other people's content. That's right. Um, anyway, before we get into this week's great interview that goes down the rock and roll history path, uh, quick shout out. Thank you to Bruce at Hypebot and Bands in Town for continuing to support us. And of course, to our weekly sponsors, thank you so much to Banzoogle.com, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. Banzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world, from weekend warriors to Grammy winners. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send out newsletters, and of course, social media integrations. And let's not forget about their amazing live tech support from their Mm -hmm. musician-friendly team seven days a week. So we put together a great offer for all of our listeners Head over to bandzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days, and make sure when you register, you use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY, all one word, and you'll get 15% off the first year of any subscription. And of course, discmakers.com, we know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's musicians. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig, 
you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money, and that's a lot of streams. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So another great offer we put together. Head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and when you check out, use the promo code Free biz, all one word, free biz, and you'll save up to $150 in shipping costs. And just another reminder, if you've got a service or a product you want to get in front of our listeners, hit up Jay or myself and be happy to chat with you about sponsorship opportunities. So Jay, who's joining us this week? Wow. We have a really great conversation this week. Author, co-founder, editorial director of Rocks Back Pages. Uh, Barney uh, Hoskins is joining us today. And if you haven't heard of Rocks Back Pages, it's this fantastic online archive of uh, basically music journalism. Yeah, this is a great discussion about kind of the history of music and rock and roll journalism UK journalism versus US journalism, um, how important journalists and magazines have been to rock and roll and, and what Rock's yeah. Back Pages are doing to archive and build a library of all these incredible articles over the decades. Yeah. So give it a listen and we'll see you at the end. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Banzoogle. Go to bandzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Today we're joined by Barney Hoskins, co-founder of Rocks Back Pages, which just turned 20 last November. Barney, thanks for uh, joining us from uh, beautiful London. Pleasure to be here. Nice to meet you guys. 20, uh, 20 years on the internet is like dark ages when you think about it isn't you had it to wind it up back yeah then. exactly i mean that was like <laughs> you know people people were still like contemplating dial up and you know yes. how do i access the internet yeah it's it's funny it's funny when you think you know because i launched my first website in in 95 and wow. you know that doesn't sound long ago but you're like Dude, you gotta remember there was yeah. really no internet back then no absolutely no when we first were building rocks back pages it was literally like a hand built you know like page by page yep we didn't have a proper content management system no. for a few years <laughs> so it's painstaking stuff yeah well you know i'm trying to think back 20 years ago uh was wordpress even even around 20 no. years ago no i, I don't, don't think, think so, so. Yeah, I mean, because I was I was running artist websites back then, and to your point, content management systems didn't exist. We had we had developers that were building PHP backend code, and I'd be sitting here like, "Well, can it do this? Can it do this?" And they'd add it, add it, and you know, twenty yeah. some years later, I'm looking at it, going, "Well, basically, we built a WordPress content admin system." Yeah customized yeah. and now you can yeah. you can just one click and install it that was a wild wild west you know barney we were talking before before you joined us about you know our childhood was very similar in that there was such a value placed on these rock magazines for example 
uh, Michael and I couldn't wait to get the new cream, hit parader, circus, trouser press, whatever. We would ride our bikes in the rain, you know, whatever it took to get that magazine and get it home and read those articles. And what I love about Rock's back pages is that I'm kind of reliving some of that because there you you didn't realize at the time that things like like cream was very snarky and very you know they were great but they were they were they were better than all the other magazines i'm not necessarily saying they were better that's yeah. how they perceived they thought themselves. they were better yeah, yeah. yeah right so did you have a similar experience because I, I we can talk about some of the great you know books you've written and articles and things like that but what was your youth were you attracted to the music magazines and did you ride your bike in the rain to get them <laughs> how did that work <laughs> yeah basically i mean absolutely uh, parallel experience here you know and i know so many other people who would say the same thing you know i mean to take the most obvious example like the enemy the new musical express became the enemy you know was it was a highlight of every week and it was where everyone went Anyone mm. who was like halfway hip went to the enemy, waited for the enemy to come out because that's where all the information was compressed right. between the covers of that magazine, you know? Right. And I mean, it is difficult to convey that to, you know, to, to, to someone of like 21 yes. or 15 or 30 or whatever really now it's very difficult to convey that right there because no, there's, well, there's no, no internet, other source of information right? really no you know when i went to see for example my first show that i ever went to was cheap trick opening for kiss august 13th 1977 and this is going to sound strange but i had never seen either band move you know what i mean right. i didn't know what they were going to look like and who sang what and all of those things. And it was shock and awe to see that live today. You can just click on the internet and see what they had for breakfast. It's a whole different thing. I think that's a really good point. Hadn't even really occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. And in a way you could argue that younger people today are slightly deprived of that shock and all that that the surprise the what are they going to be like you know yeah there's, there's sort of nothing left to surprise anymore is there yeah <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, you know the there's definitely the mystique is completely gone in rock and mystique roll. that's what yes. you know uh, you know the it, it's you know we have this discussion all the time you know somebody like kiss started now in 2022 would it work? And it's like, by no means would it ever work because you could not have that mystique of what do they look like and who are yeah. they and their yeah. characters. But, but to Jay's point, you know, you didn't know anything. You only knew, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of times you didn't even know a band was coming to con in to town in concert, unless hmm. you were lucky enough to be listening to the radio at the moment that that concert ad was broadcast or you happen to open up the Sunday paper and you saw and you went and actually saw the ads for upcoming shows yeah. you didn't know you mm -hmm. just didn't know and you know I've got a I've got a kiss podcast and we're, we are fond of saying timeline is everything mm. you know the timeline of when you were go growing up meant a lot and you yes. know for me that was 
you know, back to the to the magazines and articles, you know, when I went to um, Harpo's Records in Bloomington, Minnesota, which was basically the imports record store slash head shop, and I saw on the counter this magazine, I'd never heard of it. It's called Kerrang. Mm. And I was just like, well, that looks interesting. I open it up and, you know, head explodes. And now all <laughs> of a sudden it's a, it's a weekly ritual to drive there to see if the new one came in. And, and, you know, the story is, I mean, here in the U S Kerrang was an import. Sure. Of course. Because it was a print magazine. And back in the early eighties, that meant it had to be put on a ship. Yeah. And shipped across the Atlantic Ocean and then makes its way through the U.S. So by the time I'm reading that issue here in Bloomington, Minnesota, it's a month old. At least. Of course. Yeah, but no, of it course. was still, everything you were reading was absolutely brand new news to you because yeah. you didn't get it anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, magazines and nothing against them, but the circuses and the hit paraders were not ground breaking when it came to cutting edge news you know they for the most part were just regurgitating what a record label sent them about a new album coming out but something like kerrang would have been like the equivalent of going to a website and it was just filled with all little tidbits of oh we heard about this band in california and this band in new york and you know this guy's demo and you had to be there to experience it, to understand what that meant. Now, to the generation now of missing out on it, I, I kind of like to say, are they missing out? Because they don't, they've never experienced it, so they don't know what they're missing. How do, you, no. how do you miss something you never knew existed, never experienced? For them... For this newer generation, I imagine it's a different kind of thrill than what we experience. You know, is it, is it the thrill of waking up and finding that YouTube video? Hmm. I mean, I imagine that's a thrill to people. I, I can't say. Um, <clears throat> well, I would just like to mention, I mean, you mentioned Kerrang! And it, it's funny enough, I have just reviewed... Uh, an oral history of the new wave of British heavy metal for the financial times, believe it or not. I mean, that says everything, isn't it? Wow. The financial times wanted a review of this new book about Nwobam. And um, there's a whole chapter devoted to Jeff Barton, who was, you know, the guy who coined the, who came up with the name Kerrang. He was the heavy metal specialist at Sounds. Yep. And then he was instrumental in launching Kerrang. And it's really hard. I would imagine very hard for anyone, any, any of the kind of younger people that we're talking about <clears throat> now to imagine that one journalist could have so much power. Not that he set out to have power, but every metal band in the UK knew that they had to get their tape or their self-recorded EP somehow to Jeff Barton. He was the guy who could make or break you, you know. And he goes along to this show in 1979 in London, and it's Iron Maiden, and it's Angel Witch and Samson. It's a triple bill, and he comes up with the phrase, new wave of British heavy metal, you know. And out of that, as I don't need to tell you guys, comes, you know, everything really yep. from you know metallica slayer you know 
every everyone go it all it all circles back to that that night in a way um but it just you know you couldn't have something like that happen now because because sounds was the only one of the british weeklies the inkies as we call them that sort of stayed loyal to metal you know the enemy looked down on metal melody maker looked sure. down on metal record mirror to some extent embraced it but i mean that was i was astonished that you know jeff who actually was not interviewed for the book for some reason just laid very low didn't want to be interviewed for it but i mean a great rise look metal's not my bag but i i like a lot of metal and it's fascinating reading about bands like diamond head i mean these bands the bands that didn't make it huge but influenced sure. like lars ulrich so yeah and it's all about the press it's all about that just you know when you started reading when i started reading things like like the enemy and then when i did occasionally get a hold of an, an american magazine you know it was like being admitted to the sort of in, inner circle of the, the the people who knew what was going on right you know it, it was your backstage pass in a way mm -hmm. you could Side kind of gen on on what was really going on and 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 when i was growing up you know writers like nick kent charles john murray on the enemy you felt that somehow they were ushering you into like the, the green room the backstage area mm -hmm. to kind of just you know hang out with iggy pop or keith richards or, or whoever it was you know you just got it, 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 it was they were embedded they were embedded in the lives of those bands in a way that it just isn't. And again, that's part of the mystique, you yeah. know? Yeah. I wonder if the grass is always greener because I've always loved import uh, music magazines um, since I was young. And frankly, even today, if you get a hold of some of these like classic rock or whatever, the way these magazines come over from the UK is they're just so brilliantly put together and just great interviews and photography and all of that. But when I was young, I found a magazine from Japan, you're probably familiar with called Music Life. And right. it changed everything for me and I couldn't read it. I'm, <laughs> I was into photography sure. and there was a photographer, Ko Hasabi, who shot everybody from the Beatles to Metallica. And I would look at those images and think, I'm uh, like, how does he get these great images? Yes. And I would buy these big music life and then, you know, Q and Mojo and NME. And to me, they were just at a different level than mm. most other. You've gone through all of these different publications and I know they all have their own personalities, but is there a distinct difference between sort of the, the UK uh, music magazines and maybe those from the United States? there are differences for sure um i don't think we ever have the equivalent of rolling stone or uh cream to mention those two i mean i think i mean some of my very very favorite writers i would say some of the best are american writers i don't think there was ever a, a better music slash counterculture uh, publication than the original Rolling Stone, the first few years of Rolling Stone. It's still, I mean, look, PJ O'Rourke just died and he wasn't a music writer, but it made me think about how great Rolling Stone was mm -hmm. until maybe the moment when Jan Wenner 
thought it was more important to be Mick Jagger's friend than Mick Jagger's critic, you know. Um, that's another story and another episode, <laughs> I guess. But but I mean, you know, when you when you think about those incredible writers they have, we we have David Dalton on the on on our podcast in a couple of weeks. And so I, I hope we'll be able to talk about about Rolling Stone. But I mean, th- those writers were incredible. And in its in its very different way, Cream was much was of course much more irreverent and as you said earlier kind of more snarky yes. but uh, but i mean i love the whole aesthetic that Detroit aesthetic that kind of lester bangs and, and dave marsh and and jan Yahelski kind of yeah. you know patented i mean i yeah. i love all of that it was it was really and we you know cream would cost 10 times what the enemy would cost. So you, you couldn't, you really had to save up and, mm-hmm. and hunt it down and <laughs> find the, the, the import store and stuff. So I didn't see cream very often. Um, but, you know, because you see New York rocker, I mean, I loved New York rocker. Do you ever uh, see rock scene? Do you remember rock, rock scene? scene? And only only after the event we never saw rock scene here i it never was, just was aware so of it. new york you know it was fantastic so ramones and debbie harry talking heads wonderful was, i didn't get it very often but every now and then i would score one of those and it just seemed like yeah. this other world yeah absolutely i mean i imagine more than a few people moved to new york city just on the basis of roxy <laughs> we had lenny k on podcast late last year when his latest book came out so we talked a little bit about about um rock scene and just the, the, obviously the whole kind of downtown lorry scene yeah i mean yeah. yeah the ultimate scene where which really consisted of about 28 people now like <laughs> thousands of people obviously claim they were part of that scene, right. but it was it was 28 people probably. that's so funny you should mention that because when when i worked at universal i was there like 18 years mm-hmm. there was this new little startup band called nirvana right and yes. we had a we had a listening party at miss pearl's jam house in san francisco and we probably had about 75 people at that event and i probably met 200 people who said they were there it's always the same, isn't it? The famous like Sex Pistols show in Manchester at the Lower Free Trade Hall. You know, everyone in Manchester was there, and I know right. I know people who were really there, and there were like forty three people. You know, it's just, <laughs> I mean, and and a, a famous show that Little Feet did at the Rainbow Theatre in London in uh, January seventy five, which I was lucky enough to go to as a. I mean, I was like fourteen or fifteen. And again, I mean, everyone, you know, everyone claims that they were at that show. It was the greatest show of all time. So, you know, that's, but so that's funny. Part of the fun, you know, you know, b- back to uh, European music magazines versus mm. U.S. music. And, and, and that was a good point to bring up because it's something I've always thought about for a long time. And as a fan and as a reader, I always felt like the the European magazines were more at my level, meaning the writers were just like me. You right. could you could read their enthusiasm, their excitement about the music. I felt like it was just hanging out with somebody, chatting with them, as opposed to the the U.S. magazines. The writers almost were like, we're better. And we're telling you what you need to pay attention to and what you need to watch. And 
And, you know, again, I, I religiously picked up circus and hit Prater and all of those, but they, there wasn't as much depth. I felt like in those magazines, again, going back to what I originally said, I felt like it was like, Oh, the, the record label sent circus, the press release, and they just printed the press release as is with mm -hmm. maybe throwing a couple more quotes in there where somebody like Krang threw out the press release mm. and actually flew to the United States to sit down and talk to the artist and ask the questions the fans would want to ask. Yeah, you know? I think that's and probably true, certainly of something like Kerrang. I mean, I think that it was more about the fans, definitely. But that yeah. probably because, you know, the whole, the whole metal thing was, was I would say, even more tribal than, well, I would say a lot more tribal um, than punk, for example. I mean, I know that a lot of people found their identities in the punk scene here, but it kind of, you know, it sort of dissipated. I think that metal has always had the kind of the most loyal fans. Oh, yeah, I agree. In a sense, the most, you could say, the most conformist fans. I mean, reading this this Nuovum oral history reminded me of going to Monsters of Rock at Castle Donington in 1981 and just being sort of, you know, overawed by, you know, 75,000 sort of spotty white boys in studded jean jackets with patches sure, all over right. them. And they, they just all look kind of pretty much exactly the same. But there was something... Actually, there was something really lovely about it. You know, I, I it wasn't a it wasn't aggressive. And anyway, I deviate yeah. from the subject. I think I think fandom is really a, a very big thing with metal. Maybe less so in other genres. I, you know, you're you're probably right. And you know, and why I think to this day, if I'll pick up a classic rock or um, rock candy magazine, there's still trying to convey that same feeling and direction they're still trying to keep it down to earth we're hanging with you guys we're one in the same you know we love this band just like you love this band yeah they had they haven't elevated to oh hey look who i'm you know like yeah. you said about about jan wenner you know i'm now more interested in hanging out with mick jagger they haven't gotten to that page of or that status of all we're interested in is showing you in the magazine who we got to hang out with this week. Mm. Yeah, that I, I don't I don't feel that coming from them. The their their journalistic, you know, direction and attitude feels completely different than what a lot of print magazines are here. Now, clearly, the Internet has wipe that out because now you can just go to somebody's website and you're at the same level. You know, I mean, you know, I've, I've the, the kiss podcast, I've been doing it for, for 10 years now. And yeah. we still tell people it's like, dude, yeah, we got a podcast, but we're fans. That's all we are is we're just mm. three fans talking about a band. We love, we are no different than anybody else. Who's a fan. We just happen to hit a record button and, record our thoughts and share them with you. Yeah. You know, so I, to some extent, the internet has, and, you know, we've seen this with the death of print, basically, the internet has brought it back to the people. 
everybody it, we've always said everybody's a critic well truly today everybody is a critic really you can are. launch your free blog your free podcast and now you're able to do the interviews and the reviews you always so, wanted to see or post it on your socials or whatever sure i yeah i think you're absolutely right um i think you know when i'm asked what rocks back pages is really about i think it is um it's almost a, it's about a uh a, a, an era really which is probably in a sense coming to uh coming to a close uh, a, a defined era that kind of you know maybe began with elvis and maybe you could argue died with kurt cobain um and and i think that the point of rocks back pages is really i mean ironically it is really about it's sort of about study i mean it's you know uh most of most of the people that come to rocks back pages are researching something they're looking for something yeah. so they're students or they're you know they're writing dissertations or on the other hand they're making documentary films and they're looking for yeah, they, they need information or they need audio yeah. or something like that. So, I mean, in a sense, for me, I think people will look back in 200 years on sort of rock and roll culture as something almost like like the Baroque period in art. You mm -hmm. know, kind of it, it'll have a kind of beginning, it'll have an end. Not that music will have an end, but right. it meant for the culture uh, before it just became kind of subsumed into general consumer culture and just became a part of people's lifestyles, right. you right. know, because I think in a way that's where we're at, you know, it just, it can't have the same trying to sort of tribal thing. I understand people go to festivals and they go to clubs and they feel a part of something, but I don't think it's quite the same because it's really just um, people don't follow it with the same uh, obsessive passion you know i don't think um even if people are buying vinyl albums it's slightly different from when I, all my money went on i mean it saved up yeah. every loss yeah. I mean, I it's a premium product now it's, it's a collector's thing yeah. yeah exactly whereas it's a slightly more fetishistic thing now isn't it you know oh yeah I really understand i can't get into that mindset but you know, I just think, I think, so what I'm just to sum up, I, I, I kind of feel like, I mean, we do, we add pieces about contemporary bands, not any and every contemporary band. Sure. In a sense, we just, we, we sort of take an educated guess that, you know, Arcade Fire are going to mean something in 50 years, but maybe this other band who shall remain nameless probably won't. Do you know what I mean? You just, you just have to kind of go. So we right. have a lot arcade fire right. interviews and stuff but we don't just we don't just add stuff about every new next big thing that's coming along you know well, you know what 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 yeah. i what i think is is important about what you're doing is as much as the internet as a whole is just a giant library and a documentation of life yeah it's still very challenging to find everything you might want on a specific topic because it's spread out all over the internet. Yes. And what you're doing is kind of building the rock and roll library of yes. we are going to save and document in one location all of these important articles, 
that have been written over the decades about rock and roll. Because at some point in the future, somebody's going to want to go, daddy, grandpa, great grandpa, tell me about rock and roll in the 1970s. Well, here you go. Here's Hmm. a living, breathing documentation of what it was all about. And, And I think that's very important for people to do because as we know we're all getting older and and the musicians are getting even older and somebody's got to document somebody's got to got to write down what happened what it meant what it felt like what was going on before those memories are gone forever yeah i think that's a great point michael we were this is kind of the first generation of like aging dying off rock stars Mm -hmm. um and it's it's interesting to see how cyclical some of these things are like for example i've noticed that for a while there wasn't a lot of guitars in popular music and now people you know olivia rodrigo and some of these people are starting to bring back this almost uh punk kind of sound with some guitars back into the music and i'm wondering barney have you seen things that are cyclical in looking at this body of journalism about music is what's old new again i mean do, do you anticipate some of these things coming back in a in a way yeah, I think you. I think it really is cyclical, and y- you see, you know, you've seen so many things get revived, recycled, uh, reimagined. You know, post punk, for example, massive influence on so many groups over the last 10, 15 years. But then, you know, you'll get, you know, you'll get, um, you know, a kind of a, a sort of revival of glam, you know, glam rock. You get, uh, you've got a whole that whole sort of neo soul thing, where suddenly, you know, there's 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 kids discovering Marvin Gaye and Donny Hathaway, and 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 kind of, I mean, you look at, at someone like Anderson Pack, you know, and he's so sort of steeped in. I mean, there's that great single that he and Bruno Mars put out last year, a Silk Sonic, that was just, it was like they kind of time travel back to kind of Philly in like 1972 or something. And, and it mm-hmm. just, it was just this gorgeous, you know, I mean, you could say, well, but what's the point of doing that? Because it was done so well then. I, I think to some degree, it's quite hard to think of new stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the, the, the joy uh, for me of kind of growing up through the year, I mean, I became a pop consumer and fan fanatic, I would say in 1971. Um, that was when I bought my first records. That's when I you know, watched Top of the Pops religiously every week and mm-hmm. probably bought my first, I don't, I don't know what the first magazine I bought was, but it would have been around 72, 73. But you, you have the sense then in a way that stuff stuff was still being made up as it went along you know there were no rules people could just be fearless and and original and just and just step into the unknown i think it's really difficult for kids of kids of kids you know to uh not 
in a sense, be weighed down by the influences of the music that they've heard growing up. You know, the parents' yeah. records. I mean, yeah. Hell, their grandparents' records. You know, it's all this stuff is you you can't escape all that influence. So I hear the influences. And so I, this, to be truly original is it gets harder and harder. Oh, I yeah. think. I mean, I'm not no, you're, you're, you're 100%, you're 100 yeah. right. To be truly original is tough. But if you can if you can bring those influences in and to some extent not not be afraid to acknowledge those influences publicly you introduce a whole new generation to the originals right and and i've shared this story before a couple of years ago i took my young daughter to go see jojo siwa in concert you know jojo siwa to most people is like the fifth generation of what britney spears was hmm. But I'm an adult sitting there, and in the middle of her set, she does a medley, and it's Crocodile Rock, and it's Queen, right. and it's stuff like right. that. Yeah. And, you know, my, my, my daughter was probably five at the time. She looks at me, oh, this is who does Crocodile Rock, Daddy. <laughs> and, sure. you know, I'm just like a little heartbroken because, no, this is not yeah. the or original Crocodile Rock. But at the same time, I'm like, this is that spark that might ignite in one person to go, well, let me see who is Crocodile Rock. Who was Queen? You know, she's running around. She's got glitter around her eyes like Kiss and Paul Stanley. She's got a, a microphone like um, Freddie Mercury has a microphone. Right. I recognize where that all came from. Yeah. Now, maybe these five-year-olds will recognize this and talk to their parents and their parents will go, well, let me show you. Let me let me play the original version. Yeah. You well, know, let me will. play the original mm. Beatles. Yeah. You know that 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 Beatles song. You the beat. You know, growing up, my daughter loved this cartoon called the Beat Bugs. A bunch of bug cartoon bugs singing Beatles versions of songs. Yeah. She fell in love with it. I'm like, let me play this album called One for you. It's all of these songs by the original beat bugs yeah yeah exactly i think you bring yeah. up a good point michael because that's how i discovered music as a when i was younger i would listen to the rolling stones and i discovered blues artists that they were covering yep yeah through them because i wanted to find out where that came from that's how you know the beatles were doing a lot of covers early on you know carl perkins and you know little richard and all sorts of things my yes. road to those artists was through and it, you can go i would imagine there are people today who will hear somebody covering a song or maybe with an influence and find their way but also i remember cream magazine the night before that first concert i was telling you about I had this new issue of cream magazine and there was an article on cheap trick right before an article on kiss. And I was about to see them both the next night and I'll never forget it. As long as I live the, the last line of the article about cheap trick said, this band is the next logical step for kiss fans. And, right. I, and it, it just stuck with me. Like as you grow up and as you're, you experience new things, so I think this this rock journalism, just to kind of tie it all in a bow, is is so crucial in music discovery. It's so crucial in finding your tribe. You know, what what kind of bands do you relate to? Like you went to Donington and you were surrounded 
by a whole bunch of people like you. Well, that's what happens when you go see, you know, Jimmy Buffett and the parrot heads, or you go see the grateful dead and the Deadheads, and you, you know, you go see kiss and it's a kiss army or the BTS army or whatever you want to be around those like-minded people. And I think that's what made cream magazine for me or all of those magazines. So crucial to my growing up was I felt like I belonged to that group. I mean, to me, what I've always said is that, you know, um, the best writing about rock and roll and and popular music is almost as important as the music itself, you know, uh, because it it, it um, you know reading the best writers brought that music alive for me. It helped me to understand it and appreciate it better. I mean, it's just to me like the best like literary critics that I grew up when I was studying English literature or the best art critics. You know, you can walk around a gallery and sort of enjoy paintings. And, and I'm not saying that you, you should always go in kind of you know, armed with knowledge about stuff. It's important to, to experience things in a state of complete innocence and ignorance in many ways. But it's mm -hmm. also good, I think, to go back to an art gallery, having read or learned something about the background to these paintings. It can only enhance and increase the pleasure and the feeling that you get from I those agree. paintings. And, you know, similarly with, you know, when I was first reading the, the, the very best writers in magazines like Let It Rock, guys and women, you know, men and women who really knew about you know, whether it was like rockabilly or you talk about blues, the best, the best writers were writing about blues. You know, it was, it, it just made the music uh, a, a deeper and more profound experience for me. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it just, you know, in the end, music is about the heart, but the heart working with the head and the intellect, you know, I think delivers... A, a greater experience so yeah. to me you know I, I i think the two things are absolutely and you know and that and that really leads into the point that some of the best music writing has influenced musicians you know Agreed. Uh, you know there's how many bands you know will 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 have formed because they read this you know this interview with the clash or or television or something and it was like yeah that's what i want to do and i'm going to mm -hmm. i'm going to take this from that band and i'm going to take that from this you know singer songwriter here you know i'm going to i'm going to take what i what i need and try and fashion that into something that is really unique and original yeah, so that, that's I, a really, like there's that. a really symbiotic relationship there. It's not, yeah. it's not like this. So often there's this hostility to music journalism. And that's partly because of, because, because music journalists can be very cynical and snarky, but the, mm -hmm. but the truth is they're wrapped up together, you know, and, and, and it's not some parasitic thing. You know, I, 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 we all, we really are fans. We really, and you really, you are writing because you say you want to articulate what it is that moves you and gets into, gets into your psyche. Really, really. um, Yeah. Just, you, you want, you want to kind of do justice to that and hope yeah. that, you can share yeah. that experience and that emotion, that pleasure with another human being.
Yeah, absolutely. It's super powerful stuff. I couldn't agree yeah. with you more. So, so Barney, as we wrap up here to tell people, where can they learn more about, I mean, you've written so many great books, you've got the podcast, you've got rock back pages for, you know, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Uh, where can people reach out and learn more about all of these things? Well, I mean, you know, I would obviously say go to rocks back pages. Uh, I mean, we are a subscription site, but there's a lot of free stuff on there you know it's like an iceberg the tip of the iceberg is free and then there's all this great stuff hundreds of audio interviews with you know everybody from Jimi hendrix to, to bob dylan to kurt cobain etc so there's a wealth of stuff there yeah we're, we're inching towards fifty thousand um articles from you know i mean we just added a piece i mean this is really pre-rock and roll but we just added an interview with Hoagie Carmichael from mm -hmm. 1948. I was so thrilled to see this. Wow. From Melody Maker, which, I mean, Melody Maker is the grand old daddy of music magazines in this country, Jay. And it goes back mm -hmm. to, I mean, it, it launched in 1928. You know, I had no idea it had been around that long. Did you, did, I mean, there wow. are headlines on Melody Maker from like... <laughs> In the late twenties and thirties, about like cocaine busts, you know, <laughs> jazz musicians getting busted for cocaine. So don't tell me that like Guns and Roses invented any of this stuff. No, it was please. going on yes. a long time ago. Oh, that my my like grandfather was a saxophone player in big bands, <laughs> and he used to tell me when when I was growing up, you know, your generation did not invent, you know, smoking no. weed or the f word or any of this exactly. stuff. We, we were rock stars and punk rockers way before there was rock stars. Right. So yeah, I agree exactly. with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that you know, obviously I'm here mainly to talk about rocks back pages, 20 years old, you know, we've been building this thing. It was a labor of love man. for some years. You know, yeah. we, we, it's, it's a viable business now in parallel with that. I've, I've written books over the years and, um, I do have a blog, barneyhoskins.com. I don't attend to it very often. Who does anymore? I don't have time. <laughs> um, but uh, but guy, know, any information about my books and stuff are on there. You know, I mean, I've written mainly about American music. You know, it's been my great passion from year dot. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was a glam rock maniac. Mark Bolan was my first idol. Oh, T-Rex. Awesome. Yeah, but I but what happened to me was I you know I got influenced by the older boys at school and they were all walking around, uh, the you know the the, the the they were all walking around with like Grateful Dead and Doors albums under their arms. And so you know I realized that was what you had to do to be really cool: get a great coat and walk around with Live Dead or American Beauty tucked <laughs> under your arm. Um, and so that was really. And I through that I got into like the band and I've written stuff about the band and the Woodstock scene. Um yeah. And I've written a lot about I mean I've lived in in Los Angeles, I've lived in upstate New York. So those are places very very close to my heart, but Laurel Canyon and everything that came sure. out of there inspired one of my books. And amazing. So a lot of it's been about America. And uh, you know, obviously I haven't been to America for a while. I used to go every year for one reason or another, but um the pan pandemic is, has uh, yeah, has cramped my style and I and I miss it. But um yeah it's a well, it's when been... you get back over we'll uh we'll uh buy you a pint and and <laughs> pull some of these uh stories out of you because i know you've got millions of them uh barney thank you so much for taking thank the time you out of your evening this was such a pleasure i love just, talking rock yeah. history 
Yeah. Thank you, guys. Love it was a pleasure Absolutely talking with you. Thanks for your interest and more power to you and all the bands we love. Reminder, if all you've right. got a product or a service that you want to get in front of our users and our listeners, reach out to Jay or myself. We'll be happy to chat with you about yep. uh, sponsorship opportunities. Uh, Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. Just just to make sure everybody knows, it's rocksbackpages.com. It's, it's spelled just like it sounds, rocksbackpages.com. Yep. Um, if, you're, if you are a rock and roll history junkie, uh, this is a great place to hang out. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're like me and just um, when I went in there, I went right for those articles from when I was in high school and it was just such a joy to find those old magazine articles again and read through them. And they were so influential uh, for me, but I guess, like he said, if you're writing a book and doing research, or if you're a student or a, you know, music, you know, fact, fact teacher, checking, you need a resource to the fact great check. resource. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's great to see stuff like rocks back pages out there. Mm -hmm. saving all of this stuff, archiving it, making it easily available to search, to read, to listen to. Um, yeah, that's, that's to me is such an important part of what the internet should be used for. It's, it's preserving history. Absolutely. Yeah. We were talking about this the other day that a friend of ours had, had passed away a very famous uh, record producer. And now you know, we didn't capture some of those stories, those famous, those great stories, like on video, this generation, you know, our, our favorite rock stars are getting old and yep. some of them sadly are passing away. And I think we need to have a place where we preserve this history. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So please go check out rocksbackpages.com. Um, before we wrap up, just a quick shout out and thank you to Bruce at Hypebot, Bands in Town, and of course our sponsors, uh, Banzoogle.com and Discmakers.com. Thank you so much. And if you are looking to get your product in front of our listeners, reach out. We'll be happy to chat with you about sponsorship opportunities. If you are listening or watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Follow us on Spotify. And of course, subscribe and leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Actually, you can leave us a rating now on Spotify as well. So follow us on Spotify and leave us a rating on Spotify. It means a lot to us. Um, that's it, Jay. I think we, we've wrapped yeah. up another, another episode. Good conversation. We'll Very see cool. everybody next week.